This is Vanderbilt Business, and I'm Kara Shear. Cannabis is poised to become one of the hottest new industries in the U.S., even though it's currently illegal at the federal level. However, so far 33 states have legalized the medical use of marijuana, and 10 have legalized recreational use. More are sure to follow in the near future, and Smoke Wallen will be ready when they do. The MBA alum is the president of Vertical, one of the first and largest vertically integrated companies in the legal medical cannabis industry. In this episode, Smoke chats with us about all things cannabis, from challenges and opportunities in the industry to Canada's recent legalization of recreational marijuana. One note before we begin. Later in the podcast, Smoke mentions the Farm Bill, which legalizes hemp, a plant very similar to marijuana. When we talked with Smoke last month, the bill hadn't passed yet, but it was signed into law later in December. Hemp is now legal to sell and grow in the U.S. And with that note, here's our interview with Smoke. Hi, everyone. I'm here today with Smoke Wallen, who is an MBA 93 alum from Owen. Smoke, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So to get started, can you briefly recap your career and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, I've spent most of my career in the beverage alcohol space. I spent a good bit of before Owen and after building out a billion-dollar wine and spirits distribution company that my family had. And we grew to about 36,000 retailers that we sold to, 350 delivery trucks, 1,500 employees delivering 11 million cases of wine and spirits a year. And after that, I went on and did a bunch of my own brands. I had a technology company, eSky.com. I've had a, a number of wine, spirits, and beer brands that I've owned over the years. So mostly in brand distribution and mostly around the beverage alcohol space until now. Speaking of now, I know that you recently joined Vertical. So for listeners who don't know, can you explain what that company is and how you got involved in it? Sure. So last summer I sold my interest in my latest alcohol project, which was called Beach Whiskey. And then I also acquired American Harvest Vodka from Sydney Frank, and we had grown those brands, rolled them out around the country, and I sold out, and my wife turned to me and said, no, before you do the next liquor deal, we really got to look at this cannabis thing, and literally that's how it started. So I spent the next six months from last summer to the end of the year looking at the industry. I knew it was going to be big. I had been out to Aspen when Colorado had gone legal adult use, and I've seen a lot of my friends, YPO members, presidents of companies participating in the new cannabis and thought, well, you know, this is going to be really big, but I didn't know anybody in it. So I spent a lot of time kind of doing homework, figuring out the regulatory framework and what markets were happening first and what companies were there. And I ended up at a dinner in Vegas around one of the cannabis conventions, and there was about 35 YPO members all together who were either already invested in cannabis or looking to invest. And I stood up and I said, I'm Smoke, I'm from the liquor business, I'm here to learn. And I ended up sitting next to my partner, Todd Kaplan, who had been in the healthcare business for a long time, and he had begun investing in cannabis now five years ago in California. And he had built up a incredible base of licenses and production assets, and he wanted to put it all together into one company with production, distribution, and then put it all into brands. And I'm kind of the brand and distribution guy. It was a perfect fit. So 
I literally moved out from Indianapolis to L.A. and took over as president of the company and since then building out what's now the largest portfolio of cannabis brands in the industry. I know you were saying just there about how the cannabis industry is sort of set up to explode, and it seems that a lot of companies have entered the cannabis industry recently. So I'm wondering if you can explain how vertical is different from competitors. Well, you know, I think it goes back, and I'll use my my alcohol industry example because it really brings it to life. If I wanted to create a new whiskey, I could call 10 different people I know right now who have distilleries who can make it to my specs, to my recipe, exactly the way I want it every time, and I could launch the brand. It's a very developed ecosystem. I know all the distributors and all the retailers, so I could really do it very quickly. If you want to create a new cannabis brand, who do you call? You've got an industry that is brand new, still currently federally prohibited. The state laws are all new, and everybody in it is new. So we're out in California. It's the largest cannabis market in the world, and everything is new. They went adult recreational live in January. So all of the growers are startups. All of the distributors, all of the extractors and manufacturers are startups. The distributors are startups. The retailers are startups. And anybody you deal with pretty much is a startup because a lot of mainstream companies aren't in the business, aren't doing business here. So who do you call? And the number one criteria if you want to create a brand, I don't care what category it's in, I don't care what industry it's in, but you have to be able to replicate that brand and make it the experience that the consumer has when they consume that brand identical, repeatable, right, reliable. And you have to do that at scale. Otherwise, you don't have a brand. In this space, there's just no ecosystem that's developed. So the thing that makes Vertical really different, and it ties to our name, is we're vertically integrated. We have very large-scale production assets. We have a 1,500-acre ranch in Santa Barbara County, which currently is harvesting 20 acres of cannabis. And next year, we're preparing the ground for 100 acres of cannabis. That's outdoor grow. At full capacity, once that's up and running, that will be producing around 450,000 pounds of flour, which is a very large amount of cannabis. And 90% of that will take, will extract, and we'll put that into our manufacturing and put it into our various brands in different form factors, whether they be smokable products or edibles or beverages or health and wellness products. And the ability to produce these things at scale repeatedly is the precursor to being able to create brands. There's a lot of people talking about brands right now. There are no big brands yet in cannabis because nobody has done it at scale yet. There's very few who can do it at scale that you need to be a real brand. So that's really the difference is that we've invested over $50 million in our infrastructure to build out that back end. Right now we have about 35 brands that are at some stage of launch or launching. Wow, that is a lot of brands. You were already talking about this a little bit, but I'm wondering if you can go into more detail for those on the podcast who don't know. What does it actually take to transform marijuana from a plant in the ground to a retail-ready product? Well, that's a great question. It's something I had to learn, too, when I came out here. The interesting thing is this product can take 
many, many forms. So it's not a simple answer. The, the basic answer is there's the traditional flower form, and when I say flower, that's kind of the bud. And if you think back to what you would see in the movies or traditional kind of consumption, you would think of bongs or joints or, you know, other smokable forms of the flower itself. And in that case, very little. It just has to be properly dried, trimmed, and then put into the form that you're wanting to sell it and test it for all kinds of things. But if you want to take it and do all the other things, to put in perspective, five years ago, flour was 90% of the business. Today, it's 50% of the business. In five years, we expect it to be less than 20% of the business. And not because it's shrinking, but because every other form factor is growing. So to take the flour and put it into different form factors, you basically extract the oil from the flour and you end up with a form of oil that has THC, CBD, other components from the plant in it. And then you can use that oil to either put it directly into vape pens for smokable consumption or take it down to further manufacturing where you take the oil and you put it into other forms and embed it in edibles or beverages or lotions and creams and other health and wellness products. So there's a huge amount of applications for it once you've extracted the oil from the actual flour. And then further than that, there's obviously pharma applications, and there's a lot of research going on, particularly in Israel, but also now in Canada, where they're researching lots of medicines derived from the plant. So that's obviously another step of manufacturing. But for our purposes, 90% of what we produce will be extracted into oil and then further manufactured into various form factors. While we're on that topic, I know that you have said before that you see the alcohol and the cannabis industries converging in the future, and I'm wondering if you can talk more about that convergence and what you envision happening. I see it developing along a parallel path to what alcohol did after repeal of prohibition. In 1933, when they decided the great social experiment called prohibition was a failure and the government has basically turned the majority of citizens into criminals by causing prohibition of alcohol. They knew they had to repeal it, but they couldn't get everybody to agree. The 21st Amendment really only says that the states have the right to regulate alcohol in their borders. That's why every state has different sets of laws and everything is kind of local rule is kind of the rule of the industry. Fast forward now 85 years, and the prohibition of cannabis is gradually being repealed at the state level, and we expect in the next 12 to 18 months federal prohibition repeal. When that happens, I fully expect it to go at a state-by-state basis. So just as alcohol has 50 different sets of state laws, we expect cannabis to also have 50 different sets of state laws. So. In that sense, there's a lot of parallels, and we're seeing legislatures like California, as they enact their legislation to legalize it, we're seeing them copy many aspects of the liquor alcohol side of the world in terms of taxes, distribution, licensing, because you have a live example of a product that society has decided they want to control. This kind of fits into that bucket neatly.
there's a lot of parallels in terms of the regulatory framework. I also believe the major beverage alcohol companies, whether they be the brewers, the big beer companies, or the liquor companies, even some of the wineries, are looking at this in one of two ways. One, as a huge growth opportunity in a new category, or two, as a big threat to their business. And I think the big beer companies look at it as a huge threat. I think the Constellation brand, which is the most notable company to invest in the space, put over $4 billion into canopy growth in Canada, they look at it as a huge growth opportunity. They talk about it as the fourth leg of their stool. They've got the wine business, they've got the spirits business, they've got their beer business, and now they look at cannabis as the fourth leg. So I think they look at it from a growth standpoint. I think the big volume beer guys are seeing their business declining rapidly in segments, and they're looking at it as a huge threat. And so I do see ownership crossover. I see investment from alcohol, tobacco, big pharma, even some CPG companies into the space once federal prohibition ends. But I also feel like it will be a fairly separate and distinct system within itself. So you're not going to see cannabis being sold at bars and liquor stores very soon, although there are certain markets that are lobbying for that, like New York State. The liquor stores are all lobbying to try to get cannabis. But I think you're going to see a parallel licensing system, but you're going to see common entrants, brands, employees, investors are going to cross over, and that's already happening. On that subject of regulations, I know that you said you anticipate it being made legal at the federal level in 12 to 18 months, but in the meantime, you're still having to deal with these state-by-state regulations. How do you all navigate that? It's complicated. It costs money. It means you have to spend a lot of time understanding the local rules. There's obviously lots of impediments to business by having a federal prohibition banking and other things that are easy in other businesses are harder here. But if you add all those things up and you can get capital to be deployed, we love it. I mean, it's a great moment to invest because I don't have Anheuser-Busch investing yet. I don't have Diageo. I don't have Philip Morris. They're not in the space yet because they can't be. And as long as that window is open, we're going to invest as much as we can and get as big as we can federal prohibition ends and then you're going to see a lot of them coming in but it's still going to be very state by state so you have to understand the local rules and be operating within those rules and we think there's some advantages to being in it being really good at it and being very compliant because when those guys come in they're going to look for partners who are already doing it canada made headlines earlier this year when it fully legalized recreational marijuana and I'm wondering if you all have taken any lessons from seeing what's happened in Canada and if you think that that decision will impact legalization in the U.S. at all. Yeah, so Canada broke new ground, obviously, and led the way with adult legalization, and that was a very exciting moment. But I made this point a number of times to people when they've asked about it. They went really far, but they didn't really go very far enough. And What I mean by that is all they're allowed to sell is flour. So it's only the traditional smokable flour right now. There's no vapes. There's no 
extract products. There's no edibles, beverages, anything else. It's only flour, number one. Number two, they're allowing no marketing. You can't have branded packaging. You can't have celebrities involved. You can't do events. There's limited or no advertising. So here you have a big breakthrough, but you've got no way to brand products. And look, let's face it, brands communicate with consumers. So how do you communicate with a consumer differences in quality, functionality that come with a competitive marketplace creating brands if you're not allowed to do any branding? So they made progress, but at the same time, we're sitting here in California, Colorado, Washington State, Oregon, Nevada. We've got 10 states now that have legalized adult use, and we have a very flourishing brand market in multiple form factors. So we can sell every type and form of this product. It can be branded. We have celebrities. We have events. We have all the tools that you would want in a marketing toolkit to differentiate yourself and communicate with consumers. So we just don't think the Canadians are going to, they're not going to be the leaders for long. They're only the leaders in capital formation and nothing else. They have capital formation because they're legal, so all the capital market is opened up and they've been able to raise a lot of money. But functionally, they're not doing anything that's going to create brands. What we're doing, not just us, but the major U.S. companies are doing to invest in brands in these markets, we believe are what's going to be the brands of the future. Sort of taking a broader look at the cannabis industry at large, I'm wondering what challenges do you see it facing in the coming months and years? There's lots of challenges. It's a whole bunch of startups dealing with each other in a startup regulatory environment where the regulators are literally learning on the job and all the people you deal with are startups. So just imagine, I've been in lots of startups before, but it's in industries where you had established companies and rule. So you have the difficulty that every startup has in terms of just getting up and running and figuring out, putting your team together and making sure the right people are in the right seats and all those things that you do to make a business work. But then you have the added challenge of dealing with everyone else who's trying to do the same thing, some of which are not very good at it. So the biggest challenge is getting operational and getting operational with trading partners who know what they're doing. Biggest challenge for us has been because we've got a lot of really talented people that know how to do business and have been successful, but figuring out how to do business with other people and, and who we can do business with, who you can trust, who's doing it right, who's getting through these hurdles themselves well. And that's for me, the next 12 to 18 months, for the most part around the industry, that's the problem. It's everybody's a startup, everybody's doing new stuff. People are learning how to grow this product at scale that was never allowed before because it was always hidden. So when we have a 100-acre grow in Santa Barbara, that will arguably be the largest grow in the world. Well, nobody's grown this crop at that scale before because they had to hide. They had to do it in a basement or they had to do it underneath tree cover or hidden in the backwoods. If you're doing that, you can't deploy modern agricultural techniques. So that's what we're doing, but it's all new, right? So it's all like we're testing things out. We're trying out things that work in other big acts against this plant. And it's fascinating. It's a lot of fun, but it's definitely a challenge. 
Kind of considering the flip side of that question, what are the potential opportunities in the cannabis industry right now? Well, when I was focused on the beverage industry, I would look at a shelf or a bar, and I would think, gee, what would fit on there? What's missing? What's the white space in between all these other brands? And there's something that I could create in whiskey that would be unique enough to warrant being on there to deserve a space on the shelf that would differentiate enough to be something that the customer would want, the consumer might be interested in, all those questions. And it's a very developed market like most consumer markets are with well-established players with a lot of money, a lot of marketing power, brand power, distribution power. So how do you navigate that? And I did that a lot over the years. Here we go into this space and the whole thing is white space. So if you think about it, there's no big brand. The biggest brands in cannabis are tiny. They're minuscule compared to what I'm used to. So it's all new. So the biggest opportunity that I see is what we're doing now and is gonna be opportunities for lots of people is to be those early brands, to establish brand following and become those first brands in these different form factors in this giant industry. That to me is the biggest single opportunity. As long as the prohibition remains, it still keeps institutional money and big corporates out of the space. So there's the window of time where the playing field is a little uneven. You don't have the corporate dollars and institutional dollars. So there's more opportunities today. And fast forward when prohibition is repealed, you're going to have lots of corporate dollars, lots of institutional money, and it's going to be a lot harder. Or there's an opportunity to join those companies as they go into it, depending on your risk profile, right? Someone said, what inning do you think we're in? Well, we're in the first inning of the first game of spring training. We're not even in the full season. There's a lot ahead of us. So there's tons of opportunity. It's moving very fast, but it's still early days. All right. So last question. What is next for you and Vertical? The farm bill that's going through Congress, they've just announced they've got an agreement between the House and Senate Conference Committee, and we expect that to get passed next week. Now, the reason that's important is it includes the hemp bill in it. The hemp bill will, once passed, make hemp and CBD from hemp legal in all 50 states. If, in case people don't know, hemp and cannabis are the same plant. The only difference is if it has 0.3% THC, which is the psychoactive ingredient in cannabis, then it's legally classified as hemp. So hemp is just non-psychoactive cannabis. It doesn't get you high, but it has many of the qualities that people look for, anti-inflammatory, pain relief, a sense of well-being. It has a lot of great qualities, but it doesn't get you high. So that's passing now. And what that means is there's going to be a mad scramble and a lot of money flowing into the hemp cannabis business. We've invested heavily in that side of our business as well, have significant operations in Kentucky, and have done our first harvest this past October, and are extracting that raw material into CBD and launching brands across the country. Once this thing fully legalizes, everyone from Walmart to Walgreens and CVS and Marriott hotels are gonna carry CBD from hemp in their stores and their outlets. 
because the gray area around CBD will go away. So for me, I expect to take our, we're putting all of our hemp and CBD assets into our vertical wellness company, and we'll probably take that public on NASDAQ next year while we're building out the license side of things, which will take a little longer before you can do things in the U.S. publicly. We think the health and wellness side of things is going to take off right away. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Smoke. For sure. Enjoy talking to you. Thanks for including me. Thanks to Smoke again for his time, and thank you for listening. You can find more stories and information about Owens Graduate School of Management by visiting our website business.vanderbilt.edu or following at Vanderbilt Owen on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Editing is by Harami Yang, music is by Mike Foster, and I'm Kara Shearer.